Welcome to Built to Go, a van life podcast. I'm your host, Jeff Wag, coming to you from the College of Curiosity. Here we are with episode 55, in which we're going to talk about something guaranteed to annoy just about everyone listening. Yep. We're also going to talk about propane refill devices, a place to visit in New York that is a little bit unexpected, a resource recommendation for a place where you can buy seats, and how to get the most out of solar panels in winter. Thanks for joining us here once again with episode 55. I truly appreciate each and every one of you listening. This is our last episode for 2020. The the show will continue. The year will not, and I expect that many of you are very happy about that. I figured we'd end the year on a controversial note, because why not? This episode, I'm going to talk about something that I've been putting off since about episode one. It's an issue that comes up frequently in the van life forums and on Facebook and places like that. And almost every single time this issue is raised, it turns into an argument, admins have to come in and close the thread, etc., So I'm going to wade in here, fully clothed, because I do think there are some important issues to consider, no matter which side you're on. Uh, We're going to talk about guns. Should you have a gun in your van? Now, I'm not going to answer that question for you. I'm simply going to present some pros and cons. And while my role here is to be neutral on the issue of gun ownership... I have to reveal my bias to you. It would be unfair to do otherwise. So my bias is that I am not a big pro-gun person. I grew up in Massachusetts where gun ownership, at least in my community, was pretty unusual. Someone having a gun in their home was, like, weird. It wasn't a normal thing. Yes, I've shot guns. I know how guns work. I can tell the difference between an AR-15 and an AK-47. And typically, my bias has been against guns. Now, there's a whole lot to talk about with the Second Amendment and whether we should have gun control or not and all that, and that is not the purpose of this. The purpose of this is to help you decide whether you should have a gun in your rig. Now, for those of you from outside the U.S., This might sound crazy, because most of the people I have talked to who live outside the U.S. find the U.S.'s relationship with firearms to be extremely strange. And it is. The U.S. does have a special relationship with firearms. The Second Amendment gives it that. And for some folks, that's what makes this country great. And for others, it's what makes this country deeply flawed. I am not choosing one of those sides. Let's talk about the pros. Why you should consider carrying a firearm with you in a van. Now, in most cases, it seems like van life folks who carry firearms carry handguns. And that kind of makes sense, because if you're in a van, it's going to be very difficult to use any sort of a long gun. Number one pro for having a gun is that it is the ultimate threat. It is the strongest form of aggression, which can also be a defense that you can present. If you have a handgun and you point it at someone, you are threatening them and they know it. 
And this is a very strong deterrence. If someone is trying to break into your van or someone is trying to cause you physical harm, pointing a gun at them will typically stop them from doing that. We're not talking about shooting anybody here. We're just talking about the deterrence factor of having a gun. However, if things progress, we get to the second pro, which is that people can't harm you or your things if they're dead or severely wounded. Also, on top of that is the other issue that if you're facing against somebody who has a gun, then your only defense against them is another gun. It isn't a perfect defense, but if someone's pointing a gun at you, you would probably like to have your own gun in that situation. Guns are also useful against dangerous animals. If you have a rabid raccoon that's causing problems for you, or a vicious dog, or something like that, a gun can help with that situation too. However... And I just have to throw this in here. If we're talking about bears, bear spray has been proven to be more effective at deterring bears than guns. So consider that. Also, guns are very easy to carry compared with other things. You can fit a gun in your pocket where you can't really fit, say, a sword in your pocket. I'm not sure what else you'd be using as a weapon, but guns are fairly portable, especially handguns. Those are the pros I can think of. You may be able to think of some others, but those are the ultimate pros, and I can see that that's a very strong argument for someone who feels vulnerable living in a van. Where this issue seems to mostly come up is with single women in vans. What can they do to protect themselves? And often the answer is carry a handgun. There's your package of pros. But now let's talk about the cons. Statistically, if you own a firearm you and your family are at a much higher risk for coming to harm by firearms. That means that either accidentally or on purpose, if you own a firearm, there's a much better chance that you or someone you love will be injured or killed by that firearm. And one of those ways is by self-harm, because remember that using a gun in this manner is a permanent solution to a temporary problem. And since we've talked about this enough, I must point out that if you at any time wish to talk to somebody about these subjects, you can always call 1-800-SUICIDE 24 hours a day, 7 days a week, and there will be an anonymous person there to listen to you. I used to be one of those people. I know how it works. It's on the up and up, and you can call them without fear. Another problem with owning a firearm is that if someone knows you have it, you're a target. The value of a stolen firearm is huge. It's much more than what the gun is worth. Because once that gun is stolen, it has become untraceable. An untraceable firearm is a very sought-after thing for crime. So this kind of speaks against any kind of open carry, because if someone sees you wearing a gun on your hip, you're instantly labeling yourself as a target. And if you brag to people that you've got a gun in your van, people can just wait until you leave your van, break in, and they know there's at least one valuable thing to steal out of your van. Also, owning a firearm exposes you to liability. If somebody breaks into your van and steals that firearm, let's say it's a kid, and they hurt somebody or themselves with it, you can be held liable for that. And you can also be liable if you use that weapon the way you intended to, because laws are super complex in this. You might be in a state where it's perfectly legal to defend yourself with a firearm against someone who, say, has a knife, but you might not be. People have gone to jail for firing warning shots. And that brings up one of the biggest issues. Legally, traveling with a firearm is incredibly complicated in the U.S., 
you can go to a website called concealedcarry.com. And this is just for the issue of concealed carry. And, and if you're not a gun person, concealed carry means you're carrying a weapon and it's hidden. You generally need a license to do that. Not always. There are states that are called constitutional carry states, such as Vermont and Idaho, where you do not need a license. But what state you're from dictates how legal it is to carry that weapon in other states. And it is super complicated. For example, if you have a license in Florida, you can carry that gun to many places, but not in California and not in New York. And if you have a concealed carry permit from Washington, D.C., you literally can't drive to the west coast of the country because there is this big block of states in the middle that won't allow you to drive through with that gun. And it, it's much more complicated than I've even just stated because if you own a concealed carry license in New York State, it doesn't count in New York City. So you say you'll just get one in New York City. Well, that's fine, but it doesn't count for the rest of the state. And if you want to go to Canada, first off, they don't allow handguns. Second, they do not allow guns for self-defense. So if you do want to cross the border with, say, a long gun, like a rifle or a shotgun, you have to prove that you are a proper owner, properly licensed, are using it for hunting, and you have to pay a fee to the Canadian government, and they can simply say no. And then you're stuck at the border with your guns with no place to go. Very complicated. My advice to you is if you have decided not to travel with a firearm, that's fine. Don't tell anyone. Let people assume what they want, but never reveal the fact that you're traveling without a firearm. And if you want to travel with a firearm, never tell anyone that. There's no reason to make yourself a target. And if you do want to travel from state to state with a firearm, spend a whole lot of time reviewing the laws because they are complicated and detailed. And for example, some states you have to inform police that you have a firearm. In some states you don't. In some states that weapon has to be locked separate from the ammo in the back of the vehicle. In other states it doesn't. And so on and so on. It is very, very complex. And lastly, please get some safety training, learn how the weapon works, learn how to take it apart, put it together, how to make it safe, how to aim, and how to hit only the things you're aiming at. Imagine getting the keys to your first car without ever having a driver's license. You wouldn't do that. Don't do it with a gun either. Obvious question. Do I have a gun, and do I have a gun in my van when I travel? And the answer is, you will never know unless you absolutely need to, and I get to decide whether you need to or not. Now, what alternatives are there to firearms? Let's say that you like the idea of having a gun, but you don't want to deal with all these legal issues. Well, there are some devices that have fewer legal issues, but not none. Again, I'm not a lawyer. Taking legal advice from me would be a very foolish thing to do. But taking the advice that you should do your own legal research, I think that's pretty solid. So even though these things I'm about to mention have fewer issues, they still have issues. One is a fake gun. You can buy replica guns. And if the main use of a gun is deterrence, a fake gun is going to give you that but it might not always be legal. And you still could have problems with police. The police may see you with your fake gun and they don't know it's fake and, well, then you have to deal with trained people with guns who are not on your side at that moment. 
You could also get a pellet gun. These are air guns that shoot a small little metal... It's a pellet, but for all intents and purposes, it's a bullet. They're not generally lethal. They certainly can cause pain and injury, and they do kind of look like regular guns. The laws concerning those are much less restrictive than the laws concerning actual firearms. And there's a new one that actually got me down this whole rabbit hole. Antoine, thank you, Antoine, asked me to take a look at this device. It's called a Burna, a B-Y-R-N-A gun. And it looks like a Glock, that is a handgun, but it doesn't shoot metal bullets. It doesn't take metal rounds. It shoots little plastic balls. They're like the size of paintballs, if you've ever seen those. And it shoots three types of balls. Some of them are hard plastic, some of them are powder-filled, but it's an inert powder, and others are filled with a tear gas capsaicin mixture, which is basically pepper spray. And the idea is that you would shoot somebody with one of these and it would be enough of a non-lethal deterrence that they would leave you alone. And the laws around these are going to be much more lax. I have never used one of these weapons. I can't recommend them or not. And I hope to never have to use any weapon of any kind. But the burners are interesting, would be potentially effective against some animals as well. And they're super popular. Right now, there's an eight-week back order just on getting the devices. Cost about the same as a firearm, like about 350 bucks. So I'll have a link in the show notes if you want to check on that. And I'll also have a link in the show notes with some other resources if you are interested in learning more about this issue, including evidence from the National Institute of Health showing that gun ownership does lead to a greater likelihood of you and your loved ones being harmed by guns. Okay, that's it. I really didn't want to talk about this. I really thought it was necessary. And for those of you who hate me now, I'm sorry. I invite your comments. You can send them at jeff at builttogo.com. Change my mind. Tell me where I'm wrong. I'm totally fine with that. And for those of you who love this, well, thank you, but consider that I could be wrong. Actually, always consider that. Tech Talk. It's winter time, it is right now, I'm recording this in December, and you have solar panels, and boy, you really need those solar panels to be at their top efficiency because it is very difficult to get enough sunlight to charge your batteries. This is a problem everybody relying on solar power goes through in this time of year. First, the good news, solar panels are more efficient when it's cold. As solar panels heat up, they lose efficiency. So you've automatically got a win there that if it's cold out, your solar panels are more efficient. Now, they're a lot less efficient because the sun isn't as high in the sky in the winter. The best things you can do to get the most power out of your solar panels in winter are to keep them clean, keep them free of ice and snow, and to aim them. Now, keeping them clean is obvious. You just, once a day or once every couple of days, just kind of wipe it down with a microfiber cloth or some Windex and paper or whatever. And know that when solar panels are producing electricity, they naturally produce a little bit of heat. And that can help actually keep them defrosted. But if you wake up in the morning and it's snowed on them or they're, they're covered with ice, just treat them like windows. Now, I'm talking about the rigid panels here. It's a little different for the flexible panels, but most people have the rigid panels. You can treat them just like windows. You can scrape them, you can spray them, you can do all that kind of stuff. But obviously, you want to keep them clear. And the other thing which is a little more difficult for those of us who have attached our solar panels to our roofs is to aim them. You want to aim them south as much as possible. I mean, in an ideal world, you would move them every hour to track the sun but that's kind of a lot of work. And even then, 
the days are short. December 21st is the shortest day of the year, and you're just not going to get that much solar. It also tends to be cloudier. So that's what you can do to maximize your solar, and it's also a great time to consider adding more solar if you can. While in the summer, you might not need three or 400 watts of solar, just having more solar panels will give you more energy. So you might only get 100 watts out of those four 100 watt panels in the winter, but that's better than the 25 watts you'd be getting out of that one 100 watt panel you have. Anyway, there's no magic here, but there are a few things you can do to maximize winter solar output. Let's do a product review. This one is another controversial thing. I might as well throw it in here with all the gun talk. Those one-pound propane cans, you know, the green, they're typically green cans. A lot of people don't like them. Not only are they expensive, uh, you use them once and, you know, if you have like a buddy heater or whatever, you're lucky if you get through the night using one of these things. And they cost three or four bucks, depending. And then you've got this can. What do you do with it? You know, you can't even recycle it in most cases. Well, they sell these little devices and I've seen them range from seven to $20. And what they do is let you use a large propane tank to refill the little one pound cans, which is huge cost savings. So you would go get your propane, your full size propane tank for say 20 bucks and you could fill maybe 20 one pound cans with that and you know you're running about a dollar a can this is great right and it's not that hard you have to turn the big propane tank upside down some people say you have to freeze the one pound cans so why not do this i mean you're going to save yourself a ton of money well there's a couple reasons not to do it one is it is of questionable legality it is not technically illegal in most places that I am aware of to refill the cans. But what does seem to be illegal is to travel with refilled cans. So that's a concern. Now, how would someone know you refilled them? I don't know. But if there was ever an accident, one of these cans exploded or something, and they did research and found out you refilled it, you could be held liable for that. The other thing is, I just gave you a clue Yes, they can explode. The reason these one pound cans aren't generally refillable is that they're made out of a much thinner steel. So every time a propane tank is filled, it, it, it expands and contracts, that metal flexes. And the one pound cans, it's meant to flex just a little bit, say for one fill and one empty cycle. If you do that more often, you're gonna weaken that metal and yes, it can explode. And yes, it has happened and people have died because of it. So ultimately, using these things is of questionable legality and questionable safety. So in my opinion, no, you shouldn't refill one pound cans. And frequently people tell me I'm crazy. They do it all the time. My job here is to give you the information. You make your own decisions, but I will not be refilling propane cans. By the way, I should add here that at one time I was actually a licensed propane tank refilling person. <laughs> I actually had a license to do this. I still wouldn't do it. Okay, a place to visit. I like places that are unexpected, right? So when you think of New York, you're either going to think of New York City or New York State. And the latter is basically everything except New York City. For some reason, they think of the whole state as upstate and I've never understood that, and apparently talking to New Yorkers, they don't really understand it either. 
But there are places to visit in New York that are kind of surprising. Now, you may have heard the expression that Ithaca is gorgeous. It was a bumper sticker for a while. It's kind of a joke. But there are other places in New York that are absolutely gorgeous. And one of them is Ausable Chasm, or perhaps it is pronounced Osable Chasm. I'm not really sure, but it's spelled A-U-S-A-B-L-E. This is right on the Vermont border. That is right across Lake Champlain from Burlington. You basically take the ferry across from Burlington, and then you're very close to Ausable Caverns. Or you can, I mean, it depends on where you are. I used to live in Vermont, so I think of things from that perspective. But if you're in the rest of the country, you can just take ID7 up and get there. And it's this big kind of canyon that has a river running through it, because that's how canyons are made. And it's beautiful. And it's been a tourist area for hundreds of years and has an amazing history as a tourist destination. There's all kinds of hiking all along the edges of this beautiful chasm. Think of like a little Grand Canyon, but covered with trees. And not only that, and and don't hate me for this, because I know these things aren't popular, but it's also covered with pigeons. And the reason I'm excited about that is that these are not your city pigeons. These are pigeons living how pigeons are supposed to live. They're rock doves, which is what pigeons are called, but they're living in the rocks. Pigeons evolved to live on cliffs, which is kind of why they do well in cities. But here, an Ausable Chasm, they're actually living in the cliffs like they're supposed to. And they don't bother people. They're not picking at trash. They're living their natural pigeon lives. And it's kind of cool. You can also take a boat ride down the chasm, which is kind of amazing. This It's not like white water or anything, but it's very narrow and the boats are wooden and they used to be towed by ropes and, and it's this whole experience. And there's also the story about this guy who jumped over the chasm with a horse. Anyway, I don't want to tell you too much about it. I want you to go there and check it out for yourself. It is a nice piece of natural beauty, not too far from Burlington, Vermont, if you don't count getting across the lake as adding to it being far. And it's absolutely gorgeous and a great place to visit if you're traveling in the New York area in your van. Also nearby is an underground railroad museum at an actual underground railroad site. So you might as well check that out too because it's right in the area. Ausable Chasm, I will have a link in the show notes, or, heck, you can just Google it. I have a resource recommendation for you. It is not one that I have used, but it is one that I have looked at many times, and I think you should know about it if you're looking at building out a van. And it is called shop4seats.com. So that's shop, the number four, seats.com. And basically, it's a store that sells seating for RVs and vans. So if you were looking for, say, a swivel captain's chair, this would be a place to look. Or they do sell a bunch of different chairs that fold into beds, jackknife beds, all that kind of stuff. So there's lots of different options there. And they have general other furniture and stuff for vans. Now, I haven't found anything that will work for me there. The beds they sell tend to be short. For example, they might be 62 inches by 62 inches, and I'm 72 inches tall, so I don't think that's going to work. But for someone out there, there is a solution there for them. So at least have a look. Shop4seats.com. If nothing else, it will give you ideas about what's possible in your build. Tales from the Road 
Okay, this one is a little bit of a brag. <laughs> Since this has been a difficult episode for me to record, I'm just throwing this out there because I think it's a fun story. So way back in the dark ages of, say, 2006, I helped run a conference in Las Vegas called The Amazing Meeting, which was a conference put on by James the Amazing Randy and his foundation. It was a critical thinking conference, very pro-science, very much about evidence and facts. And as such, we invited the Mythbusters to come to our conference, and they humbly agreed. Now, if you're not familiar with the Mythbusters, they had a long-running TV show in which they would explore myths and see if they were true or not by trying to reproduce whatever happened in the myth. For example, there was a story about a guy who attached rockets to his car and flew off and smashed into a cliff and killed himself. So, of course, they actually did that, at least the first part. In fact, they did it twice. At any rate, Adam Savage and Jamie Heineman and Carrie Byron and several of the other cast members came to our conference, and I had the job of picking them up at the airport in Las Vegas. I was honored to be actually able to meet these people, but I was also a little nervous because I didn't know what to expect. But when I found them at the airport coming down the big escalator that's at McCarran, if you're familiar with Vegas, you know exactly what I'm talking about. They looked just like they did on the show, and I found out it's because they had come directly from shooting an episode to the airport, so it was just like they walked off the TV set. In fact, the episode they were filming was the one where they shot bullets into the air to see how they would land. At that point, I realized I was in trouble, because I recognized them, and so did almost everybody else in the baggage claim. And people were starting to point and gather around, and I was like, oh no, these people have been working all day, and they're my responsibility, and they're about to get mobbed, and we still have to get their luggage, and oh. Uh. So, I, okay, I had an assistant with me, and I said, go with her, she'll take you to the van, and I will gather your luggage, and get you guys out of here. And Jamie said, no. It's okay. And then Adam agreed and saw the people coming towards him and raised his hand and said, Hi, folks, we'd really like to meet all of you. Why don't you form a line and we can greet you? And they created this little meet and greet session with the Mythbusters in the baggage claim of the airport. Totally impromptu. They are great, great folks. But Carrie was kind of the star of the show in many ways because she was a bit different than the other two nerdy guys. She seemed more like a normal person. Sorry, Adam and Jamie, but I know you know what I mean. Everybody was attracted to her. It was just a thing. Carrie was everybody's crush, and I was no exception. And after all the hullabaloo, when we finally got them in the van and got their luggage, I'm driving them back to the hotel, which was the stardust, if you can believe that. And I hear Carrie behind me say, very affectionately, I love you, and I always want to be with you. And for a split second, I was like, what? Whoa! And a whole world of possibilities flooded through my brain. And then, you know, I, reality just set in. No, she couldn't possibly be talking about me. And that was proven by the next word she said, which was, I love you, and I'll see you in a couple of days. Click, as she closed her clamshell cell phone, on which she was having a conversation with her fiancé. So, yeah, that was, that was the end of my millisecond relationship with, with a famous Mythbuster. But I have to say, 
Adam and Jamie and Carrie and the rest of them were fantastic folks to have at our conference. And Adam really enjoyed it. And he came back for several years. It's rare that you meet TV people and they're just like they seem to be on TV. But these folks really were as nice as they seem on that show. And boy, I was honored and privileged to have worked with them ever so briefly. Van news. We haven't done any news for a bit, and there have been a couple of things worth talking about. The first thing that happened most recently, of course, was the incident in Nashville on Christmas where someone in an RV, it looks like, blew themselves up in a a deserted downtown area of Nashville. And this has had an impact on some folks traveling in vans. There have now been several other incidents around the country where police and bomb squads have stopped vans for suspicious activity. Now, so far as I know, none of them have turned out to be anything. But the fact of the matter is, is that vans are now under more scrutiny than they used to be, which could be a problem. So so if you're out there stealth camping and parking in places that there usually isn't a van parked in, you might want to be a little bit more aware of your surroundings. You're under more scrutiny now. It's unfortunate, but that's a reality that we have to face. Another news item that's been around is that a person identified as a travel blogger, uh, her name is Esther Dingley, she has gone missing. She was hiking in the Pyrenees, which is what she did, it's what she wrote about, and she just disappeared. And now there's a lot of concern because it's snowing in the area, and she's been missing now for nearly a month. There were reports that someone had seen somebody else driving her van, but we don't really know the situation, so... If she was somebody you followed or knew about and you were wondering why she hasn't published anything recently, it's because she's missing. So hopefully she'll be found okay. We just don't know what happened yet. And maybe a nice story to end the podcast with for this year. Uh, In Ottawa, Kansas recently, police were called to investigate a woman walking down the highway. Uh, It was a welfare check. Nobody thought she was a threat or anything. They just were concerned for her safety. And after finding out the woman's situation, the Franklin County Sheriff's Office made arrangements to give her a free van and even paid her insurance and taxes for the year. And it was just because this woman was struggling and just needed this one little thing to get her back on her feet. So now that she has the van, she can take her kids out and she doesn't have to walk down the highway in freezing temperatures. I'm glad that we can end this with a nice thing that people did for one another. Because if there's anything we need after this year that we've just been through, it's a bit more kindness. Well, thank you very much for listening, not only to this past episode, but to all the episodes of this year. I'm planning bigger and better things for next year, and I hope they meet with your approval. Music, as always, is by Simon Wagg. And remember, until next time, the immortal words of Emily Dickinson. Hope is the thing with feathers that perches in the soul and sings the tune without the words and never stops at all.